Hello and welcome to the Gridiron Show. And after a wild week one of this brand new NFL season, we're going to be talking about the good, the bad and the ugly. We'll talk about the things we loved and the things we hated and maybe some unheralded performance of the week as well. Joining us on the show, as always, editor of Gridiron, Matthew Sherry. Hello, Matthew. Hi, well. Uh, Features editor, Simon Clancy. Greetings. I'm uh, after the hammering you gave me last week about the AFC Central. I am going old school Houston Oilers. <laughs> Little bit of Warren Moon in your face. Absolutely beautiful thing. And from Bleacher Report, Kaylin Kayla is with us again. Ka- popular demand as well. It's fair to say. I think about all the decent reactions we got on social media last week were all about Kaylin's debut. That's right. I appreciated it. Hello, everybody out there. <laughs> I mean, you you stayed up to watch Titan Steelers until what, like one, two in the morning, your time, and we're making you record this early morning. <laughs> so, are you prepared and ready for the nonsense we're going to end up delivering? I'm prepared. It was only one a.m., so we're fine. That's why Central Time is the best American time zone. Eastern Time is horrible. Yeah, that's Perfect. true. Western is the worst because waking oh, up eight hours yeah. behind UK time is bad, but also having those one o'clock games, which are actually kicking off at like 10 o'clock in the morning. I could not yeah. get my head around that. It's either mountain standard time or central time that are perfect. As a big fan of morning slash day drinking, I'm a big fan <laughs> of the game starting at 10 a.m. when I'm, I'm not, on the West Coast. I'm not a big fan of going from games on the Eastern time zone and then heading down to New Orleans, which you also think is on the same time zone, and then realizing that instead of having <laughs> an hour and a half until kickoff, you've got half an hour to kick off and you have to do about 140 miles an hour to get to the stadium in time for kickoff and then the Saints stadium is the most difficult stadium in the world to get into by the way if you're a member of the media it's like you have to go through an underground car park it's ludicrous yeah it's (laughs) ridiculous I've never been there I mean it's amazing but ridiculous to get right. into. Let's get into the good, the bad, and the ugly from this week. A surprising week one, which may be unsurprising in how surprising it was. I think we expected there to be some of the unexpected this week. So let's go around and ask you guys what your good from this week is. And I'm going to come to Simon Clancy first. I mean, there was lots of good. I thought that, I suppose the performance that took my eye most of all was Gardner Minshew's because, I mean, here I was on the podcast last week saying that they'd be looking for a new GM, new head coach and drafting Trevor Lawrence. And then Minshew goes 19 of 20 for a hundred and some odd yards and three touchdowns and fourth highest quarterback rating of all time and looked fantastic doing so. And all of a sudden the Trevor Lawrence derby becomes, I know it's only week one, but the Trevor Lawrence derby does become slightly more wide open and he just looks like he belongs. You know, some of the flashes that we saw last season, he was accurate. Obviously when you go 19 to 20, you're accurate, but he just, it just looked like his team. The stash has grown, the hair has grown and the talent has grown. I thought he was terrific. Yeah, I mean, I think there's been a quiet confidence in Jacksonville that they're going to be better than than we've all been discussing, and that and that played out in in the opening week. I mean, there's going to be a thirty for thirty at some point on Gardner Minshew if this continues. I mean, for those who don't know, he literally before his final year in college was about to take a job on Nick Saban's coaching staff. Finds this incredible situation with. Mike Leach for his last hurrah college football, and the idea that he could now become a viable. NFL quarterback is an insane story and one that I think, especially with the kind of personality that he's got, it's um, sometimes in sports now we're losing this, the, the kind of characters that you might have had in yesteryear. And yeah, I think I think Minshew Mania is back, isn't it? And he had to stay, hopefully. I love a six-round quarterback. I love it. <laughs> you know, if I was the general manager, I would be consistently like looking to find a quarterback in those late rounds. And I know they all do. But the value is just incredible. If he can be the guy for them, it's just amazing that 
he was still sitting there in the sixth round and everybody at the senior bowl loved him. He wins people over with his personality as well. And I agree with everybody here. I was stunned by his performance, but it does raise the question of, do they even really need a Trevor Lawrence or, you know, if they do end up with the, in the situation to draft Trevor Lawrence, obviously you do because it's probably the best player available, but is it really a need for your team? And, and it's too early to answer that question, but I think it's fair to start wondering that. I would just throw into the ring here that it was still Jacksonville winning a very weird game that relied on Philip Rivers throwing two bad interceptions that relied on some yeah. poor coaching decisions from the Colts. They outgained them by twice the yardage. Oh, they so were still in that- as much as Minshew was good, to say they were the better team over the full... But you would, have, you would have taken Indianapolis by 10 or 15 to start the game, and the fact they were even in it, and the fact also that you saw really good performances from really young... C.J. Henderson played really well. Mm-hmm. Um, the undrafted free agent running back played really well, and you kind of came into this thinking, this is a two-plus touchdowns win for the Colts, and actually, you know, you have to score the points to win games, and that's what they did, and the Colts didn't. Kalen Matthew, let's talk to you guys about your MVP pick for this year on last week's show. Russell Wilson came out, was allowed to throw the ball around for a moment one, and they were aggressive against the Falcons. Yeah, I saw a stat that went around that the Seahawks passed more in neutral situations than any other team besides Philadelphia in week one. So I think they're at something like 65% for passing in neutral downs, which is incredible. It appears that let Russ cook is actually happening again (laughs) week one. So we'll see where this goes. But that was really great to see an aggression that Seahawks fans and NFL fans in general have been just dying to see and it's been really frustrating over the years obviously they've got the weapons now to do it i think i mean i think that the progression that we're already seeing from dk metcalf who to me is the kind of receiver that actually may not fit in other systems but is just absolutely perfect for russell wilson with that deep ball accuracy that he has and and the playmaking you know i think that they've got the pieces in place you look back at the last two seahawks seasons and just wonder what might have been they ultimately lost tight playoff games because they weren't willing to do this so to see it be fixed this early in the season and and you know my understanding of the situation is that this is being driven by Russell Wilson you need to do this or I need to think about my future in Seattle because ultimately they were wasting the best years of a, of a generational quarterback and it it's hugely exciting to see and and let's hope it continues well one man that did come out and uh, on a bit of a revenge tour from week one, as we thought he may be, but a lot of people have been sleeping on him. I know that's something that Simon Clancy never does. From uh, one mercurial quarterback talent to another, Aaron Rodgers. He just looks so relaxed all training camp. I don't know what you think, Caden, but he just seemed to be him messing around with Tim Boyle, messing around with Jordan Love. Mm-hmm. And for me, uh, it's two questions. The first is that maybe they should have drafted his replacement years ago. Um, but but the second point is that will there come a point if he's continues to play like this and why wouldn't he because don't forget we are talking about one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time and it's not like mm-hmm. he's fallen off a cliff he's only gone down to like the fifth best quarterback in the league instead of being the first or second there will come a point where Green Bay have to make a decision over the future of Jordan Love if Rodgers is still playing really well to the point where they will just do what New England did with Garoppolo which is trade Love away and keep Rodgers because if he wants to play into his 40s which he says he does and he's playing at this level why on earth would you get rid of it I agree I think that would be the logical thing to do but I I don't know why but I feel like he's going to end up playing somewhere else and they'll keep Jordan Love I don't know exactly why I think maybe we'll see what happens with Tom Brady that could be kind of a telling example of 
signing someone late in their career. I guess that would be an example of if Rodgers went to play elsewhere, would would somebody want to make that signing? I think that's a good question, though, and I think it would be really smart. I think the organization probably had that in mind, too. Like, hey, we can create value in this, which was really smart when New England did that. They got so much more out of a quarterback that they really didn't have to spend a ton of resources on. So I think it'd be really smart if Green Bay did do that. And based off of this first game for Rodgers, it could definitely be a possibility. I'm sure Jordan Love was standing there being like, what am I doing here? Like, <laughs> wh- why am I here right now? I feel so useless. But I also think this game against the Vikings told me as much about Aaron Rodgers as it did about the Vikings defense this year. Yeah. I mean, that was shocking. Yes, they were without Daniil Hunter, which is a big part of their game, but he really took advantage of the young cornerback secondary yeah. group that we've already, you know, we talked about them last week and Rodgers just tore him apart. But I think the Packers have never scored that many points on the road against Minnesota before under Zimmer. So it was really, that said a lot to me about the state of the Vikings defense at this point in time. Rodgers strikes me as the kind of person who needs that needle into him. And I think Brady needs it as well. You know, I think it's interesting now you can really see why Belichick was the way he was with Brady and how different he is with Cam. It's something we talked about last week. You need to know what your quarterback needs. And I hadn't really thought about it before watching just how good he was in week one, where genuinely it was as good a performance as I've seen from him in years. And he has had some good individual performances in the last three years. And yeah, I still say that. But this could be the thing that re sparks him and the Packers, I think, this drafting of Jordan Love. All that Brady chat, by the way, does lead us nicely on from the good to the bad. But I'm going to start off the bad by pointing out what a terrible presenter I am because I totally forgot at the beginning of the show to point out, people will have seen it in the title and seen it in the blurb, that we're being joined by a fifth guest this week. Uh, And the fifth guest with more credentials than all of us put together, of course, because he's a Super Bowl winning head coach. So later in the show, you'll be hearing from Brian Billick, Super Bowl winner with the Baltimore Ravens in a new weekly feature we're going to be doing with him, breaking down some of the coaching from this week. And we're going to be talking very specifically about the Patriots and about Cam Newton as part of that conversation. But we've mentioned Brady. We need to talk the bad. And I think, Kaylin, it's fair to say that that performance definitely comes under the uh, under the auspices. Yeah, I reached out. I'm writing this week for Bleacher Report about reactions and analysis from people around the league about what they thought of Brady's debut as a Buccaneer. And obviously it was disappointing. We can all agree on that. But I think there's a temptation to sort of jump to conclusions and say, oh, you know, they're not going to be a Super Bowl contender. They're not going to contend for the NFC South. Like it's over. Everything's falling apart. But when I did reach out to people, I mean, the response that I got back was it's week one. Week one games historically don't mean anything. Week one games are always really weird. So nobody really wanted to jump to conclusions. And this is when I was texting like college scouts and personnel people around the league and different assistant coaches. Most of them agreed he hasn't lost significant arm strength to the point where it's concerning. So that's a positive. Like everybody who kind of watched the tape from Sunday said, you know, his arm strength looks fine. And and yes, the interceptions were on him. But everybody was very adamant to say that they expect this offense to really improve in the coming games. And they do have a schedule that kind of works in their favor for the next few weeks. So I think we can definitely expect to see the communication and the errors that we saw with Brady and his receivers miscommunicating. I think that will definitely clean itself up as we go forward. So that was the main takeaway. And only one source told me that he's concerned and thinks Brady might be in decline just because of his season last year. He was like, listen, if he was playing at an MVP level last year, I wouldn't be concerned by a poor week one showing, but the fact that he did have his struggles last year 
and this was his third straight game with a pick six. Like, that's a little concerning. So he said, you know, the next two games are going to be huge because if he keeps turning the ball over, this might just be who Brady is now. What we should mention is that actually there was a conversation, Matt, about what the offense was going to look like, whether it was going to be Brady came in and it was fitted to Brady, whether it was going to be an Arians offense. And actually, we only really saw the one kind of vertical deep shot that Scotty Miller 37 yarder outside of that it was a kind of mix of the two and i think we just have to accept surely it's going to take a while to bed in if it does yeah i think there are three parts to the Brady conversation the first one is physical talent i actually thought he threw three deep balls in this game that were better than anything i've seen in new england for the last three years the arm talent and the physical talent right now is still there if that's still there at the end of the season is a different question as you get older the second part is fit with receivers. I think Arians has since said that the first pick was actually on Mike Evans, having said after the game it was on Brady. That will take time and that will happen. The third and most concerning to me is the fit with him and Arians. Now, that isn't really about the offense. That is about the fit between a coach and a quarterback. He clearly grew tired in New England of Belichick. He grew tired of Friday meetings of getting drummed into them for the 30th time that if you're on fourth and two as a defense, you don't jump off sides. But there's a reason that Belichick hammers that home. It's because it works. And I think that Brady will get tired if the Buccaneers are as ill-disciplined as they are quite quickly. I also think, Will, there was too much of a mix between what Arians does and what Brady does in this game. Offensively, they were a team without an identity for me. That will take time as well, but that might not happen in a season, and that is what would worry me. The clock is constantly ticking because of his age. I thought I spent so much time in the preseason talking about how he was such a fit and everything was going to be fine, and the deep ball off and the arm had Clyde Christensen coming out and Byron Leftwich coming out and saying, you know, it's fine. I don't know what people are talking about. And actually, I thought a lot of those pigeons came home to roost at the weekend in terms of the fit, as Matt said, and it just didn't look like you expected it to look. And I think Caleb made a really good point about communication. That's obviously going to be an issue. It doesn't matter how many times you can get together in a park and throw the ball around. It really only matters on Sundays when the bullets are live and you've got live defenders. I mean, I read an interview that Arians did a while ago where he said, um, you know, it'll be fine. There'll be a little bit of me and a little bit of Tom and we'll meet somewhere in the middle. But it didn't feel like they met in the middle of the weekend. No, it didn't. And, and by the way, Gronkowski looked absolutely oh, toast as well. So if you're talking oh. about, you know, I thought Gronk could really ease him in at the start of this. I just thought he looked incredibly slow and you could tell he hadn't. You could tell he looked slow two years ago and hadn't played for a year. And that would be, that would be a concern because I think people are classing Gronk as this great bonus chip but actually I think for it to work really well he has to be good early in the season in particular and it, it didn't look like that would be the case We and we're sticking in New Orleans when we continue with the bad because whilst Brady didn't have a great game he still managed 239 yards compared with just 160 through the air for Drew Brees and considering how much the Bucks front seven were doing against them in the run and how they were only what well, I think they averaged 2.4 yards a carry on the ground that sounds like it's going to be the perfect day for Drew Brees to be finding all those receivers and having a big day, but it did not look good. No, not at all. I mean, it was... I remember saying, like, two years ago that I thought he really struggled at the end of that season. And then last year, I thought, actually, they'd win the Super Bowl because he got that injury, because it would mean he was fresh and he looked bad at the end of last year. It's hugely troubling for him to look that bad in week one. It's not just the deep ball either. He wasn't accurate at the short and intermediate level, which is where he's made all his kind of money in the last few years. So that would worry me. I think he is probably close to done. 
and it's whether the team is good enough to win around him. And I think there might be. I mean, it, they remind me of the, the Peyton Manning final season in Denver. I think the team is that talented. And Taysom Hill is is such a weapon for them. You know, it's telling now that I think they're more willing to use Taysom Hill on third down because I think that they trust that offense to get the job done on third and short more than Drew Brees right now. Like how much they use Taysom Hill going forward is going to be really interesting. And I think they should use him more. We saw him a little bit on Sunday and he had that really cool play and they can do so much more when he's on the field. So I think the future for them is definitely how much more can they incorporate Taysom Hill as Brees is sort of aging out slowly would you put hill in for specific series or do you think that he works best as that trick element i mean peyton and pete carmichael have got to be thinking there could be a time where we could just stick taste in for an entire series and see what happens i think they should try it i mean why not and especially because the more that you use him just for these like trick situations the more defenses can sort of prepare and know okay you're going to be doing something unexpected here but it becomes expected when you put him in so at some point he's going to lose the value of just coming in in those unique situations so I think why not put him in for a drives experiment see what happens if they get into a situation in a game where as I think they will at some point this season where they have a strong enough lead to kind of try some new things I think that would be a really smart idea so the good has been quarterbacks giving us not necessarily surprise performances considering the talent but certainly performances that we love this week the bad quite the opposite let's get to the ugly and let's start with a quarterback and an entire team who in Cleveland they just continue to not be able to have nice things Caitlin I'm going to come to you first because you laughed immediately when I said (laughs) yeah so actually it's funny I was talking to a source who works on in Cleveland you know he's new obviously the staff is new but I was asking him hey how do how how should we expect the Browns to kind of start off this year and he really downplayed everything and was like, well, I'm not really sure. We'll see how it goes. Like, was just kind of negative. And so then I texted him yesterday and I was like, wow, you weren't kidding about being slow out of the gates. And he was like, yeah, I've seen this coming for a while. So I don't know if it's necessarily anything to say about the new staff at all because it's too soon. It's just they just inherit so many loads of issues when it comes to Cleveland. And the thing that I kept thinking about is, are the Giants really going to look good for this Odell trade? Like, I mean, maybe they already look good. I don't know. That's something we can debate about. But depending on how this season goes, and it's so interesting because if Odell was the level of player that everyone thinks he is, like, I just feel like he should be elevating this offense in a way that we really haven't seen from him. So it makes me wonder, is just Cleveland being Cleveland the problem? Or is he part of the problem? On Odell, quickly, if people, because they might have only been watching this on Red Zone, aren't aware of how his first half went. It was two targets, which was a five-yard catch, a drop, and then he had to go into the locker room early to get an IV because he hates water. (laughs) The whole thing is bizarre. I forgot that he hated water, too. I forgot about that. Just, I had to double-check that that was true because I remembered it during the show. Yeah, he definitely had an IV, yeah. He hated water, and yet he had to have an IV at halftime during this game as well. You know what New Hopkins did in his new uniform in Arizona, and he compared that. Uh, you know, I don't understand how a player of Nuke's ability can go to Arizona and, and 16 targets, 14 catches, game-winning touchdown, or at least get down to the one-yard line. Performs brilliantly in a wide-open offense with Christian Kirk and Larry Fitzgerald and, and Kenyon Drake. Whereas it should be set up perfectly for Beckham to have 110 catches for about 15, 1,800 yards. And yet he just... I don't know what there's just this disconnect that's fascinating. I mean, I think I think they have to trade him. It's just not working. You who's know? trading for him? Well, I mean, I right. think he... 
He reminds me massively of, of the Randy Moss situation when he was with the Raiders, where you know that this guy has got insane talent. He's not as talented as Randy Moss, I would say that. But you've not seen it now. For When was the last time he was really good? I mean, you're talking two and a half, three years. I think it needs to be the kind of situation that engages him, and that is a, a pairing with either a great coach or a great quarterback who can get him on track. But... To me, you look at what's happened in Jacksonville and the way that actually you, we think maybe they're going to be better than we thought because they cleaned up the culture and, and, and got out the guys who were kind of the problem children. It strikes me that that might need to happen in Cleveland because I also worry massively about the impact he has on Mayfield. I think Mayfield is salvageable at this stage of his career, but I, I don't think that them two as a mix is, is right when you're trying to create a new culture in an organisation? The Baker Mayfield question is the one of the most fascinating. And again, urge caution on the world is collapsing after week one, but this is now almost becoming a historically bad run for Baker in terms of, you look at what happened last year. And I think last year you could blame some of the off-the-field issues and maybe after winning Rookie of the Year, it got all, all got to his head, all the adverts, all the hype that the Browns were going to go to the playoffs. But where was the excuse for, some, you know, this was a different Baker Mayfield, apparently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, he looks really, really bad. The, there is not a paucity of weapons on that. You know, the line is better. But you look at Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb, Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, David Njoku. They've got really, really good skill talent players. And yet it just seems to not be working for him. And at some point you're going to have to ask the question, are the Browns in the race for Trevor Lawrence? Now, there can be a conversation around... Mitchell Trubisky in around the fourth quarter comeback and whether or not we've underestimated him I'm sure we'll have at some point this season depending on how it goes but the conversation we need to have because we're talking about the bad is about the Lions uh, DeAndre Swift <laughs> drop away from a win let's be clear on this but the ball was dropped and Detroit go 0-1 and it's so similar to the first eight games of last season when they looked decent and Matt Stafford looked great and yet they found new and interesting ways to lose Week in, week out, it felt like. Well, I think the ball was metaphorically dropped a long time before that swift <laughs> drop. You know, like the the reality yeah. is that the game management from from that lead was was absolutely no ludicrous. Ball on swift shoulders, should it? <laughs> no, absolutely not. It should it should never have got to that point. I mean, just a carbon copy of their opening game last season. Only this time, they lost instead of tying it. And what does that tell you? It tells you that similar to what we're saying in Cleveland, something is fundamentally wrong with the mentality of the team and it doesn't look like being fixed and it's a shame because actually I think with the Vikings taking a step back there's an opportunity for the Lions to to step up into the playoff conversation but the lose games like that they're not even going to be close so yeah I mean huge questions for for Matt Patricia to answer you know he's been there long enough now that that you kind of need to stamp these things out and to, it, I think it's just a terrible look when you lose games the same way time and time again ultimately mm -hmm. yeah as soon as Jamie Collins uh was ejected for his loving headbutt to the ref which that was the biggest flop of all time from that ref yeah. that was crazy <laughs> that was crazy anyways as soon as he was ejected which was like I think the first quarter it was pretty early in that game I was like, all right, this is the Lions are going to lie in their way out of this. And then they lost, I think, what, two corners to injury before the fourth quarter, mm -hmm. Coleman and Trufan. And Coleman is now put on IR, which, you know, three yeah. weeks he can be back. But he's like their best defensive player at the moment because Okuda wasn't playing yet either. So it doesn't look good for them for the next few weeks. Just losing those players to injury did not help. But I totally agree. I mean, Patricia has got to turn it around or this is over quickly. There's a race to be the first coach sacked between Matt Patricia <laughs> yeah. and Adam Gaines. Yeah. 
there's only so much longer that both Bob Quinn and and um, I, I think Joe Douglas gets a pass in New York, but I think Bob Quinn, uh, Patricia, and, and Adam Gaze are heading for the uh, unemployment line fairly quickly. I mean, Patricia's quits. dramatically change. He's, it's it's his handpick guy, you know. He, yeah, he lives and dies by that sword, doesn't he? So it's beyond frustrating, and, and I'm getting frustrated for Matt Stafford, who I think is mm-hmm. becoming the great wasted talent in the NFL outside of a couple of good years with Jim Schwartz. They've just never. They've never done enough with him, have they? But you look back at some of those great, you know, Barry Sanders, one playoff appearance, Calvin Johnson never going to the playoffs, and you just think the talent that's been wasted in Detroit is staggering. And staggering. then they all just choose to retire early. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's talent, isn't it? <laughs> Who can blame them? Who can no, blame them? Like, not, not, not only does all of them retire. Also, yeah, did you guys yeah. think, didn't you guys think the crowd noise at Ford Field, the artificial crowd noise, it just seemed way too loud to me. <laughs> I've been, I mean, it's been inconsistent across the board at different games that I was watching, but at that one in particular, I was like, this is not realistic. There's too many fans I, yeah. screaming. Did you see that some coaches complained that the crowd noise was too quiet? Yeah. To say, oh, they're trying to hear our plays. They're trying to catch our cadences and stuff. It's like... Almost it's certainly New England. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> history. A little bit of history there. Undoubtedly. Uh, right. Uh, what we're going to do, coming up, we've got a little quick fire round of the things we loved, the things we hated, and an unheralded performer of the week. But first, let's hear from a Super Bowl winning head coach on some of the coaching jobs this week. We're going to talk Rams. We're going to talk Patriots with the Ravens Super Bowl winning head coach, Brian Billick. All right, welcome to uh, Back to the Gridiron Show and delighted to say that along with X-Tech Pads, who if you've heard our chats with them before, you'll know are fine purveyors of protective equipment for American football and the NFL in general as a Super Bowl winning head coach with the Baltimore Ravens. Brian Billick is with us now. Coach Billick, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Great to be with you. Well, look, we really appreciate you taking the time out to speak with us. And, and Coach Billick's going to be joining us on a regular basis to discuss some of the coaching going on around the NFL. And well, looking at week one, Coach, there's a couple of new head coaches, not new in terms of new to the NFL, but new in terms of the teams they're at, I want to talk about, and a couple of old heads who I thought had really good weeks. And I want to start off with, uh, with some positives. And let's start with the New England Patriots, who maybe it shouldn't surprise anyone were as good as they were considering who their head coach is. Yeah, and the fact that – but there, there was still there was the question. I mean, for 20 years we've been asking, well, is it Belichick or is it Brady? And it was a moot point because it was both. But now – obviously with the transition and Brady going to Tampa Bay, coupled with the defense, which took some major hits from last year, was so great last year for Bill. So he had the double whammy of, okay, we got to reshape the offense, uh, obviously around Cam Newton, and had to basically rebuild the defense. And obviously they they did a pretty good job. Now we'll see how it plays out during the rest of the year. You know, the Patriots have been nothing if not adaptable. Even when Brady was there from week to week, come out and throw it 50 times by design. And the next week decide, nope, we're going to come out and run, run the ball 40 times just because that's what we think it takes to win. So the system is very adaptable. Now, you're talking about a whole different animal in Cam Newton and what he does and how he does it compared to Tom Brady. And obviously, they're, they're adapting very, very well. Yeah, adapted very, very well. And, and it's fair to say the speed at which – because I think a, a talking point with all of these is this offseason has been shorter. We've had no preseason – and there's always this adage about the Patriots that they take 
a while to get going anyway in a season, and not this year. It's felt like they hit the ground running. Yeah, and they, and unless you know, we let's let's keep in mind that they, they were playing the Miami Dolphins. Not to disrespect the Dolphins, who I think will be better. I think Brian Flores is. You know, we're just still waiting for waiting for Tua to come in because we know Fitzpatrick is fine, but we've seen this movie before. So they're a team that's still transitioning and waiting to to put in their quarterback of the future and to see just how good they are. And so not to diminish the win for the Patriots, but, you know, they're going to get tested more going forward. Uh, that defense is going to get tested more. And the interesting thing for me is Cam Newton, he ran the thing 15 times. It's hard for me to imagine. And, and he was very, you know, upfront about it after the game. Well, look, that's what we got to do to win. That's what I'm going to do. I, I don't care, you know, in, in the shade of Lamar Jackson running the ball. 170 times last year, I'm sure. But Cam Newton's a lot older, takes a whole lot more of a beating. And so I'm going to be, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if they can sustain that style of play going forward. I can't imagine they want him to carry the ball 15 times a game. Now looking at uh, the, the, the final one before we get into the new head coaches, actually, and I wanted to stay in the NFC West for, for one question, was what you saw out of um, Sean McVay and the Rams against uh, the Cowboys on Sunday night football. Because... Whilst it was a tight game, there's been a lot of praise for the way they handled Jared Goff and, and the speed at which they got the ball out this week. Yeah, I mean, we were looking for that evolution. You know, after going to the Super Bowl two years ago, last year they, they kind of, you know, weren't able to perform at the same level. And you wondered if, okay, does maybe, maybe this thing that they've got going isn't that special. Maybe the players, and, and they were hurting the offensive line. I mean, there were a lot of reasons for it. They have adapted a little bit, but they're playing better. And it's interesting, San Francisco now is in that mold where what they did last year, which was so special and unique in terms of the analytics and the way Kyle Shanahan set things up. Will they have that same fate that the, the LA Rams had last year? But yeah, it was a good opener. Golf looked good, looked solid control of the offense. Uh, the defense is decidedly different. They've gone away from the Wade Phillips defense to now uh, with the new coordinator. A lot more man line. I mean, they still got Eric Donald in the middle. So that's, you know, that was the NFL top 100 players, number one player, and rightfully so. So they're still going to be pretty good. But, yeah, that, and, and Arizona appears to be substantially better with DeAndre Hopkins' team now with Kyler Murray. So that whole division is going to get very, very interesting. What I'm hearing is my 49ers are going to finish last despite going to the Super Bowl last year. I understand, coach. I understand. Um, on the other side of the ball in that game, one of the new head coaches in the NFL, Mike McCarthy, has come in for some criticism for having proclaimed that he was going to do things differently, things looking very much the same in Dallas. Yeah. Uh, let's remember Dallas was the number one offense in the league last year. Now, I don't know that anybody really thinks of them that way. I don't know that they anybody would say, oh, no, they were the best offense. They were statistically number one. Uh, Mike McCarthy was a great coach. I, whether he's turned it over to Kellen Moore or not, uh, again, there's only so much to tinker with. I really thought that Dak Prescott would flourish under Mike McCarthy, and I think he's still well. I think we have to note that the teams that had new coaches and new systems all seemed to struggle just a little bit, rightfully so. Obviously, the truncated offseason preseason, everything about it. I think the teams that have new coaches, new systems per se, naturally were going to struggle. Tom Brady in Tampa the same way compared to Drew Brees in Orleans, who just picked up where they left off in the same system, the same quarterback doing the same thing. And they looked decidedly better. I think you saw 
this thing with Dallas in terms of what they were doing. And maybe we're still in the process of that, that changing. The, Ray, the Rams kind of picked up and didn't have a whole lot of change. So that continuity, they were able maybe to weather the, the lack of preseason a little bit more. I think a lot of the teams, like I alluded to, Tampa Bay, Cowboys, all those teams that were transitioning to new systems, new coaches, I think we saw the effect of it a little bit more in the first game than we might have otherwise. But I can expect that to get better as we go forward. Is there almost pressure on coaches too? You mentioned Carl Shanahan and the analytics. Mike McCarthy spoke about how he was going to be more analytical and try and include that side of the game more. And then they made that fourth down versus the field goal decision, which has been heavily questioned. And some people are saying, you know, does he almost feel like he has to go for that? Because that's what people say you have to do now, even if it doesn't feel right. Yeah, the, 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 the mentality around the league is if you don't, you're not being aggressive enough. You're not following the analytics. You still have to use your best judgment. I remember years ago, there were some... MIT digit domo that said you always have to go on it for anything fourth and less than two that on the long term it will yield more productivity and I thought well okay well when I do against the Pittsburgh Steelers on my own 20 and I go for it on fourth and one and don't make it I want you standing next to me so everybody knows whose decision that was so you do have to qualify it a little bit uh, and I do think the coaches feel a little more pressure to be aggressive that way to follow the analytics and it's all well and good until it's not, until you do it that one time that it costs you. And then you're going to be criticized for it because we always look at play calling and decision making through the prism of hindsight. And if you did, and if it worked, then you're a genius. If it didn't, you're the village idiot and you're the same guy making the same decisions for the same reasons. So, but I agree with you. I think he may, and when he talks about, particularly in light of what San Francisco did last year, I think Mike, who his year away from the game, drawing a lot of people re-embrace the analytics and he's going to oversee it a little more, let Kellen Moore run the offense, which is the same offense which was last year. And they showed balance and Ezekiel looked good and Dak was okay. But in critical areas down in the red zone, third down, they, they weren't able to get it done. And that's going to have to get better. Brian Billick, Coach Brian Billick is with us in association with X-Tech Pads. And we'll ask about the pads in a moment. But the final coach I did want to ask about in terms of performance this week is um, Ron Rivera and Washington. Uh, we've all heard the story at this point but the guts and determination that it showed and then the team responding after the half, it says a lot about the man, I think. When you're the Washington blanks, I mean, you don't even have a team name. And for them to fight through the distractions of the offseason, everything that involved that and some of the accusations about Dan Snyder and the organization, then to get down 17 to nothing and to fight back from that, you're absolutely right. That, that is huge. I will see how good a team they are. I think Philadelphia obviously has some issues now, uh, particularly in the offensive line. But I, you can't you can't say enough about the job that Ron Rivera and that staff have done. The players, given everything they've gone through and what they went through in that game, they're going to be able to build. <coughs> excuse me, they're going to be able to build on that. And it was a big, big win for them. Uh, and notwithstanding, obviously, the personal issues that Ron Rivera is going through with with the treatment for the cancer. And I mean, it's just for them to come out by the way they did was, was substantial. And I think it shows just how much a culture change and a change of leadership can make a difference to an organization practically overnight. I'm sure they've been working very hard for four or five months, but seemingly it's just changed in an instant as far as we're seeing it. And, and that's so important that when you, because every coach that comes in talks about, well, I'm going to change the culture here. 
you know, it's kind of cliche. And, and it's an interesting question. Well, okay, what does that exactly mean? Well, clearly in Washington, Ron Rivera, and that's why they hired a veteran coach. You know, when they go through the coaching searches and each team has different needs. Well, Washington was an absolute desperate need of that steady hand that the players could look at and say, okay, yes, we know he knows what he's doing. Now, it may or may not happen here, but we're, you know, some coordinator flavor of the month guy and the hot guru that comes in and is going to change the world. Washington of all the teams desperately needed that steady hand. And I give them credit for going so quickly with a guy like Ron Rivera and, and for him to deliver in the way he did this first game is a huge platform for them to go forward because the players now can legitimately say, okay, yeah, you know what you're doing. We can do this compared to some other teams that crisis of conscience. I mean, Thursday night football, we've got Cincinnati and Cleveland. Both these coaches, I mean, you talk about here we are, second week of the season, and it's a must win. I mean, how, how tough is this league? But for both those, and, and, and whether it be for Baker Mayfield and Cleveland, how do you lose to Cincinnati and come back from that? And Zach Taylor in Cincinnati, the head coach, yeah, you got the number one pick. That looked okay. Joe Burrow looked okay in his first game. But you're playing the Cleveland Browns, and after having a horrendous first season, your players need to know, can we do this? Are we the Cleveland Browns? Are we that bad? So here we are week two, and we've got two coaches that are trying to change the culture that desperately need a win to validate, yeah, guys, follow me because I know what I'm doing. The uniqueness of a 16-game regular season. Yeah. Um, and finally, Coach, uh, we'll be doing these sections with uh, the help of X-Tech pads. And, well, obviously week one we were keeping an eye on injuries in a big way, but... We often talk about the importance of helmets and the technology change there. It's not the only piece of technology that's protecting your body, and, and the work you guys do with X-Tech, I think, is really impressive. Yeah, it's been fun. Uh, the, what we've done with this company seven, eight years ago, Bob Broderick and Teddy Monica basically selling these things out of the back of a truck uh, that were now the number one pad in the National Football League. You know, players in my day, they didn't even know what pads they were wearing. You just gave them some pads and they wore them. Now players have taken much more ownership of what goes in and on their body. And they are choosing X-Tech pads, whether it's George Kittle, Saquon Barkley, college programs like Oklahoma, Auburn, Ohio State, Michigan. These are, they're all in X-Tech pads by choice because it's the best pad on the market. And, and for younger players, I mean, this, this is high school players. This is the best protection you can get. The XRD technology is patented. We now have a database because these are basically hand-fitted pads. We have a database based on age, height, weight, injury history, position. All those things that say, okay, this is the kind of pad you need because that's what makes it the best pad available and, and available at xtechpads.com. Perfect stuff. Look, Coach, really appreciate your time. I look forward to speaking to you regularly this season, getting some insight and learning a lot, it's fair to say. Uh, thank you so much. I love, I love you all's enthusiasm for the game. It's great. Super Bowl winning head coach Brian Billick. Uh, cracking stuff as always, and he'll be with us every single week uh, of this season. Uh, cannot wait to bring you insight from him every week. Now let's get to a round robin of starting off with things we loved this week that we haven't discussed so far. Kalen, I'm going to come to you first. What did you love that we've not talked about? 
from last night, Steelers shutting down the run for the Giants. I believe the Giants only got 29 yards on 20 carries. And, you know, TJ Watt said after the game, we just wanted to smash the run first and foremost. It seemed like whoever got there first. And it made me wonder. So I really liked what they did on defense there, but it really made me wonder if Saquon Barkley fits this Giants kind of rebuild timeline going on. And personally, I don't think he does. And he's kind of wasting his prime right now in New York. And it makes me wonder... Is there a way to get him out of there? Where does this end up? But I liked how the Steelers' uh, defense played. Can you imagine the Giants' fan revolution, though, if having traded Odell, they ended up trading Saquon. <laughs> I mean, they would be, they might burn the stadium to the ground. Yeah. Yep. Oh, Bud Dupree, Bud Dupree played brilliant here last night. For a guy that, you know, can't particularly bend very well, he was kicked Andrew Thomas had a terrible first game as a as an NFL left tackle, I thought Dupree was superb. And I liked that their interceptions came from Cam Haywood and from TJ Watt. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, you've got to try and throw over the big guys. <laughs> right. TJ, that's ideally the guys you need to get past <laughs> first and foremost. Simon, what's something you love from this week? Sticking to that game, actually, and, and, and off the field, I just love Chris Fowler, Kirk Herbstreit, Maria Taylor. I mean, it just it just sounds so much better. And and I think if you were, if you were the Monday Night Crew following Steve Levy, Brian Greasy, and Lewis Biddick having to follow Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreit, you're like, Ugh. and also just a nod to Jake Bart in the other Monday Night game, having torn three ACLs. It was great to see him. I, I know that, you know, speaking to Sigmund Bloom and a couple of people down in Denver, they were um they were worried that Bart was going to get cut given the injury history, but to A, to see him make the roster, B, to see him make the field, and, and C, to be a contributor, if only taking the punch from Rashawn Evans that got his ejection. Great to see him back on the field. So those were just two sort of under-the-radar things that I liked. I'm, uh, I'm not going to tear down another professional. I'm sure it might improve, but Steve Levy had a bad first game. Got the down and distance wrong constantly. And he said AJ Boyer made two plays when he wasn't even on the field. <laughs> Having been told by Lewis Riddick just moments earlier, he wasn't on the field because he was off injured. Uh, it was Great a job of not tearing him down, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I said I didn't want so, to and didn't say I wasn't going to. Yeah, because <laughs> you reversed back over him as well. So. <laughs> uh, Matthew. Yeah, I mean, I think what I loved is, in terms of the feel-good storyline, was what Ron Rivera did with, with Washington in this game. You know talk about new head coaches all the time and and talent but we've used it talking about Stefanski culture is such a big part of this particularly in Washington I mean with I mean everything everything that he has to contend with you know it was notable to me that when they were talking about rebranding the team in the press release it's coach Rivera's involved in this to see that manifest itself on the field in week one with that Really spectacular comeback, and you know there was some exciting parts in terms of the football with Chase Young and that and that pass rush. But I just think generally that it's so ingrained in Washington. They're one of them farcical teams over the last few years that we've looked at and thought, God, there's so much to do there. But actually, we saw some really good signs right out of the gate from Rivera, and then you throw in the the IV at halftime, the cancer storyline, and everything. Just the real feel-good story of the week for me. Really good shout. Wonderful shout. Uh, an Ivy at halftime for a very different and, and you know, far more acceptable reason. Uh, let's talk about <laughs> things we hated from this week. I'll go back around the other way, starting off with Matthew. Something you hated from this week. Uh, I, I mean, on the subject of, of retread head coaches, I just hated what I saw from the Dallas offense under Mike McCarthy. I just thought it was... This is a guy who invited journalists into his home to talk about how he... <laughs> was going to come across as a reinvented Great coach. innovator. I've, yeah. I've been watching all this. I've got so many new tricks up my sleeve. Actually, I thought we saw a lot of 
the same issues, similar issues to what we saw in Green Bay, and then and then almost becoming too ambitious and positive and too analytically driven on the field goal decision. It's like I just thought it was as debuts go, it was really bad. The antithesis of Rivera, really, and I was pretty excited. I'll be honest. I, I'm a big believer in the idea of head coaches going away, relooking at their craft, and and seeing what they what they do with that second chance and how they reinvent themselves. And McCarthy said all the right things, but I didn't really think that we saw it on Sunday night. Uh, Kaylin, let's come to you. Something uh, that you uh, you hated from this week we've not talked about yet. I think kickers desperately needed a preseason is what we've discovered <laughs> after this week. There were a lot of extra points that were missed. I can't remember the exact number. I was just looking for it and didn't pull it up in time. But I think it was very clear that these kickers were not in prime form. And especially, I mean, obviously this is recency bias from last night's game where Guskowski missed four different kicks. So I just think they really needed a preseason to prove, you know, they can get back into the into the game here. And then obviously I really I hated Trubisky's performance, even though he had that fourth quarter comeback. <laughs> that I mean, I wasn't surprised by that either because he's always so much better in the two minute offense where he moves quicker he can't paralyze himself by all these decisions that he needs to make so I wasn't surprised that he leads them down the field for a comeback win there but I just think the first three quarters say enough and the worry is that the final quarter convinces them that he's that he's that he's found the the secret sauce and the reality is that he probably hasn't no exactly it's the same thing over and over again Bears fans this weekend going on about Trubisky and Bills fans convinced that Josh Allen had a great game (laughs) despite the two fumbles and the terrible missed throws and uh, I'm not saying it a bad game but there were elements of it that weren't great there was a lot of uh a lot of crowing going on on Twitter over the last couple of days. My, my, my so, bad was nearly Bills fans pretending that Josh Allen played like some kind of... It was literally going to be mine. <laughs> Simon, what did you hate this week? Well, I was going to be Bills fans talking about Josh Allen. Uh, that miss that he only rolled out to his left and had the tight end, uh, Dawson Knox, wide open in the back end. <laughs> and it inexplicably overthrew him was quite astonishing. I mean... I think all four of us would have made that probably with our eyes closed. I hated the PI call at the end of the Dallas Rams game. It ruined what was a really interesting chess match. I was really, I was actually quite impressed by the Rams. I know Matt has a loathing for Jared Goff. Goff played really well, but that to me was a, just a really. The, these two guys were hand fighting. I think just Jalen Ramsey got beaten. Gallup made a great play on the ball. You know, frankly, it could have gone either way. You, you could see that Gallup's arm was, was tucked under uh, under Ramsey's arm. So, um, and you know, not saying that the Cowboys would have gone on to score, but that just ruined the, that game. I thought that was a, a horror call. I, I'm normally a hater of people who talk about these things balancing out over the course of a season, but you do have to look at the Jared Goff non-call on the interception where Alden Smith raked his hand down the face mask and pulled it away and, <laughs> yeah. and didn't get called for roughing the passer. Great to see Alden Smith, Smith back as yeah, well, yeah. Um, I once met Alden Smith's dad in a tailgate at a 49ers game. It's back in like 2013 when he probably had his first ban and was just starting to go wayward. And he was one of the loveliest men I've ever met and was really genuinely concerned for his son and where he was going and kind of got quite deep and meaningful from how I'd met about three minutes earlier. But, you know, I'm delighted he's turned his, it around. His first and he season. Really well. His first season was one for the ages. As a sub-package pass rusher that came in to spell Justin Smith, did he have 18 sacks as a rookie? 16 sacks? It was phenomenal. It's such such a shame that his life went the way it did, but it's, you know, equally as great to see him back and and playing really well as he played the other night. Uh, Let's talk, maybe he's someone's unheralded performer of the week. Who knows? (laughs) Uh, Let's go around those. Caelan will come to you first. 
Yeah, so this is a weird pick, but I'm picking it for specifically one reason. Stephen Goskowski. <laughs> no, I was gonna say um, I was gonna say Daniel Jones for his ball security because he was much improved in that aspect of his game, where last year he you know came under fire a lot for fumbling quite frequently, losing the football. I thought he showed a lot of improvement in that area of his game. So a strange pick because altogether it was not a great night for him. But in that aspect, I thought he really improved. Nice. I thought he played nice. quite well, actually, against yeah. the good defense. Well I mean, you know, the TJ Watt interception was just a great <laughs> yeah. play by the defender. you you got to just praise the defender there. So, I yeah. thought he made some great throws on that. The, the, the touchdown that throw was Cam a great Hayward. throw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, the drive that ended with the Cam Hayward interception, I just thought they moved, especially on third down, I thought he was really good. All right, Matthew Sherry. Um, I, I thought Corey Davis was absolutely exceptional. I, I mean... So many contested catches. You know, that the Titans become way more interesting if Corey Davis can do that week to week. I've seen him have lots of good games in his career, but it seems to be one good game followed by three where he's anonymous. He, he roasted Stefan Gilmore a couple of years ago when the Patriots played them, and he was good, and also Adam Humphreys. So I think, you know, the Titans, if they can start to piece together those passing weapons alongside AJ Brown, just generally become a much more interesting team. So, yeah, I thought those two stood out to me. It was a Broncos secondary, which after Boye did uh, go out, was playing two rookies. But as an owner of a lot of AJ Brown stock in various fantasy leagues, it was uh, a rough night for me to see Corey Davis having just such a special (laughs) night. Uh, Simon Clancy. I'm picking Jamal Adams. 13 tackles, two quarterback hits, a sack, given that he wasn't there for much of the offseason, I thought his performance was outstanding. And it gives an interesting Seattle defense, just so many options with Pete Carroll because he's he's not Cam Chancellor and he's not Earl Thomas, but he's sort of a little bit of half of each of them in a way. The evolution of that position uh, and the importance of that and how Pete Carroll has been able to use safeties historically, I just think gives Seattle a really, really interesting chess piece on the on the back end and I suppose in the box as well because that's where he does a lot of his work. I thought he was terrific for Seattle. I have to say, if I look forward to week two, the game I'm most hyped about right now after what we saw in week one is Seahawks-Patriots because what does that defence do against Cam's running ability? What does the Patriots secondary do against Russell Wilson? I think the matchups are really, really tasty and that's uh, of, of the games this week, there's some decent ones in there, but that is one that really jumps out to me for that very reason. I've got to say the three times Russell Wilson has played the periods have been historically great games as well. In his rookie season, he it was his breakout game. He threw a big bomb to Sidney Rice late in the fourth quarter to win. Obviously the Butler interception, but then the next season, I think it was, or maybe the season after, they went to Foxborough and Gronk dropped it in the end zone on the last play to win it as well. So they've always been great games, those. That touchdown to Sidney Rice was part of that epic triple box wasn't it on uh, on yeah Red it Stone was there. yeah um, absolutely where, where RG, rg3 has that long run was it jay feely missed the field goal or took the field goal to I take arizona that, yeah. to overtime and then there's the and it all happened at the same time scott hansen almost like explodes as all things <laughs> happen simultaneously it was one of the great pieces of tv Guys, uh, really good fun as always. Keep checking out all the other content coming out from Gridiron on Twitter, at UK Gridiron as well. Look out for Kalen's piece on uh, what the league thinks of Tom Brady's return and whether they're going to turn it around. I think we're pretty positive overall despite the performance. And um, we'll be back next week for more of this. So hit us up on social. Let us know your thoughts. Uh, You've been listening to The Gridiron Show. 